So the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 31, and this is God's Word. When Jesus had gone out, excuse me, (laughs) when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today. In Jesus' name, amen. What's that? It sure is. <laughs> it sure is. It's, a, it's, it's, one of the, it's one of the great sweetnesses. I think if, I, if I've ever done anything at the church, uh, it's that people have accidentally memorized 20 verses uh, by singing them. Uh, all right, so the word vainglory. Have you heard the word vainglory? You know, it's a, it's a video game that came out in, I think, 2014 or 2016. But uh, before it was a video game, vainglory is a, is a word that, uh, you know, I've heard people describe Michael Jackson as vainglorious. So didn't he have an album called Vainglorious? can't remember. But, uh, you know, to be vainglorious is, is, is someone who uh, wants attention and who seeks attention and um, someone who is proud. And, you know, per, per Wikipedia, there's a poem about vainglory. It's an old English, uh, late 10th century poem, um, and it's structured around a comparison of two basic opposites of human contact, conduct, says Wikipedia. On the one hand, the proud man, who is the devil's child, and wreathed in flesh, and then the person who would submit to uh, his or her maker. So, vainglory is a universally uh, disliked thing in humanity. Uh, if you meet somebody who's proud or full of themselves or, uh, or is always the center of the conversation, everything comes back to I, 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 that's off-putting. And uh, one of the reasons that's so off-putting is this. You know, in, in C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, he says something like, um, if you don't like pride in other people, you don't like it. When people are proud and full of themselves, you kinda, it's off-putting. The reason you don't like it is that you're so full of pride yourself. And the more you don't like pride in other people the more it betrays the pride that, that exists in your own heart, says C.S. Lewis. And that's a very good point. Um, I begin that way because our passage has very much to do with God's glory. And, uh, you know, in Exodus 20, when, uh, when God gives Moses and the Israelites the Ten Commandments, at the top of the list is this, Exodus 20, verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. And in case there's any confusion, it goes on. He goes on. God goes on. You shall not bow down to them. Or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now, you may have heard this before, and I've even said this before, I think, a couple of times over the years, but you know, Oprah Winfrey, there was an interview with her, I think, back in 2008 or something, or maybe earlier than that. Uh, but she describes, she says, yeah, I was brought up kind of in a Baptist upbringing and so on. And, uh, but then I heard a preacher one day talk about God. And uh, he read this passage about God being jealous. And uh, that really turned Oprah off, and uh, she couldn't imagine 
a God who could be jealous, and what kind of a God would that be? And it made her rethink everything. But, you know, think about this, ladies and gentlemen. Um, you know, that's, that's a convenient deal breaker uh, for people to go, oh, God is jealous. Uh, I just don't like that. Uh, because, you know, jealousy in a person, uh, we find that to be uh, a negative thing most of the time. But let me, let me, ask, let me put it this way. If you um, did a routine on a balance beam and you did a really great job, and I said, boy, you did a really great job on the balance beam, I would just be stating the truth, what I thought was the truth, right? Was stating a reality. Um, if uh, somebody did a great presentation at their job, and uh, you said, "Boy, you know, you got up there and you weren't afraid in front of the whole that whole board of directors, and you did that was a really excellent excellent presentation." I'm just stating something that I've observed. Or if I say your home is lovely, or if I say, "You know, you're a really good artist." Well, I'm just stating something. I'm, I'm observing something, and I'm stating something. What I'm what am I doing? I'm merely stating a perceived fact. Well. Um, here is more than a perceived fact. Here are some real facts. It's not just that I perceive them. It's, it's that they are reality. God is worthy. I'm stating a fact. God is the author of all truth. God is the arbiter of right and wrong. God is faithful. God is holy. God has all the power and all the knowledge. God is our maker. God is perfect in all He does. What am I doing? I'm merely stating the truth about who God is. I'm stating the reality of who God is. Um, so c- consider this. Uh, God knows, and uh, He knows everything. He possesses all things. He sustains all things. Um, and so, because He is all that, He's never insecure for any single minute. I mean, people act prideful because they're insecure. God's not insecure. He's got all the, he's got all the stuff. He's got all the knowledge, the power, everything. There's no reason for God to be jealous in a way that we would think a, a, a negative way of jealousy. Um, you, you ever met, um, I was talking to Tammy about this last night. We were, you ever met a, like that weird guy, the weird boyfriend or the weird husband? Always, he's always lurking around. Why, why, who are you talking to? Why'd you do that? Where'd you go? Came home. What'd you do? You know, he's just like the spooky, the spooky dude or the freaked out, the freaked out woman. Oh, Henry, where were you? You said... 7.05, and it's 7.12. Where were you? The freaked out, jealous person? It's really ugly. Now, sometimes, I mean, if, if there's reason to suspect, that's one thing. But I'm just saying that that ugliness comes from a position of insecurity. God's not insecure. You know, folks, um, back in the day when people did puzzles, and uh, you got to the last piece of a puzzle, you know, the last piece, the last satisfying piece, where you take that puzzle and you go, that piece just falls right precisely in place. Ladies and gentlemen, that, that sense, that, 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 um, that, that feeling, the completeness uh, of spirit that you're looking for, the satisfaction of spirit that you're looking for, that, that spiritual um, core of your humanity, thup, is giving God glory. That's what you're looking for. So God is never in a position where He just... He, he needs a little pumping up. He doesn't need pumping up. It is the thing that's best for you. It's the thing that will satisfy you is giving God glory. Um, and so uh, this is where we get our main idea here today. Uh, glorifying God is the point of living. The cross is what makes it possible. So let's go to our first point together, a vivid glory. Um, verse 31. 
When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Now, there's a whole lot to talk about here about God's glory and, and all that, but what makes this verse so striking uh, straight away is the very first part about Judas. Judas leaves, and as soon as Judas leaves, uh, and notice how the gospel writer John has framed it, as soon as Judas leaves, then it, he says, now is the Son of Man glorified, Jesus speaking. Judas leaves, and, and, and Jesus goes, okay, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Isn't that interesting that Judas leaves? That's the next thing that Jesus says that John records. Now, some writers have, I think, um, erroneously uh, said that, uh, you know, the load was lifted. When Judas left, everybody went, oh, good, Judas is gone. That jerk always kind of was a, you know, a buzzkill and, uh, and so on. When, uh, in fact, and listen, when G- Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him throughout his earthly ministry. He knew, it was, he knew Judas was going to do what Judas was going to do. So for Jesus, I'm sure that lightened his heart, uh, and uh, that's when he launched into a discussion for the next four chapters, lovingly, tenderly, to the remaining 11 disciples, all right? But just remember that, uh, just flip back a few verses to, uh, oh, verse 28. Remember, no one at the table knew why uh, uh, Jesus said this to Judas, you know, go what you're going to do, go do quickly. Some thought, verse 29, because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast, or that he should give something to the poor, or so on. And so the disciples didn't have any idea um, why Judas was leaving. Um, so I can't, I can't say that, oh, the mood changed suddenly in the whole room and all that. I just think that's running down a, a crazy uh, road. Um, I'm sure that Jesus felt more free to speak. But uh, remember, the disciples had no idea. The point is this, ladies and gentlemen, from this point forward, when Judas goes out, the machinery has irrevocably started. Judas has gone out, and uh, the the machinery's in motion. The cross um, cannot um, be revoked. I mean, the countdown to the crucifixion uh, has now begun. It's critically important for us to understand that because... It's got to do with the expression of God's glory through the redemption that comes by the cross. Remember, when we think about God's glory in the gospel, we go, okay, God is glorified in the cross. God is glorified in Jesus. How? It is the crucifixion of Jesus. It is the redemption of fallen mankind. Judas goes out, the machinery starts, and Jesus goes, okay, now is the Son of Man glorified. The Father's glorified in the Son. The Son's glorified in the Father. What that means to you and me, quick application, is that Jesus is going, okay, God is going to be glorified by saving you guys. That's, how, that's what it looks like. Now, we certainly learned several things um, about God's glory here. Uh, first thing we learn is the unity of the Father and the Son in salvation. You know, uh, it is a good illustration, and you've heard me say it many times, it's a biblical illustration. Think of um, heaven as a courtroom scene. You have uh, God the judge. You have Jesus as advocate. Um, that is a biblical idea. Read Hebrews. Jesus is an advocate. He's standing there for our defense. He is our um, uh, intercessor. He's our great high priest. He's the defense attorney. God is the judge. 
And um, it's, a, it's, a great, it's a great illustration to think about it. Um, you don't just uh, uh, try your best and try your best and try your best and go before the judge because your best isn't good enough. God, the judge, is holy, holy, holy. And if the, if the defendant isn't holy also, that's a problem. You're going you're gonna to have a judgment against you. But you've got a defense attorney. And not only is he the defense attorney, Jesus Christ, not only is he, is he you know, fighting for your, your, uh, uh, for your um, situation, he is standing in for your situation. He's saying, hey, uh, judge, God the Father, um, I lived a perfect life. I'll take the punishment for this woman or man. So he's an advocate. He's also the one who stands in and takes the punishment. That's a great courtroom scene. The, the difficulty is that sometimes that's painted with a, with a flaw. Sometimes that's painted or perceived by um, people in the church that God the Father is a big meanie, and he's dour, and he's harsh, and Jesus is the one trying to calm down the big guy, going, oh, now, hold on a second, hold on a second. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's okay. Uh, don't be so mean. That's not it at all. God the judge loves the defendant. God the judge is the one who sent the advocate to stand in for the defendant. God the judge and the advocate, the defense attorney, are, are working together. They're in on it. Loving God, a loving Son of God, and a loving Holy Spirit who brings life. What God is doing is He's reconciling Himself to us. I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but you know, we sing the song, Arise, My Soul, Arise. We've sung that for years and years and years at this church. But in one of the verses, it says, mm, My God is reconciled, His pardoning voice I hear. You know, we sing that a million times, and it just passes through our minds, and we think, okay, yeah, reconciliation, that's a good thing. I'm reconciled to God. It's not what it's saying. The song is saying, our God is reconciled. He's reconciled himself to us. (laughs) He's made it possible for us to fellowship with him. Oh, yes, we've been reconciled to him, but he's been reconciled to us. Is his arm too short to save? No, but he, he, won't, he can't do it with a sinner. He can't have, he can't have iniquity in his presence. Uh, and so the shorthand is he loved you and wanted to save you. That's one thing we learn about God's glory uh, here stressed in the cross of Jesus Christ. Um, we also see what God's glory manifested in Jesus Christ means. First of all, it's the most important event ever to happen in human history that Jesus would take on the, the curse and shame of sinners and die for them and say, it is finished. He accomplishes this work on the cross that God himself would break into the realm of the doomed and the damned and make a way unto himself. It's the greatest, most important, wonderful thing that could ever happen to humanity. Secondly, we see this, that uh, God's glory in the gospel um, is displayed in in the fact that everything is ultimately going to be fixed. Uh, That's quite a a lovely thought. You know, in Romans uh, 5.18, it says this, Therefore, as uh, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that would be the sin of who? Adam. So, one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. That would be the work of Jesus Christ. 
For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus, the many will be made righteous. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He lived a perfect man's life, perfect human's life. Adam sinned, and it's this idea of federal headship, which we've talked about many times, but you need to hear it again and again and again. Um, There is a federal government in the United States. It's over the state government. It's over Shelby County government. There's a federal government. Government. It's over all the stuff. All right? And so Adam is a federal head. Adam is put on this earth. Eve is put on this earth. They could sin. They could not sin. They chose to sin. And as federal representatives, all of humanity is cursed. And God curses. God curses the world. God curses everything. The, wor- the earth resists us. Work becomes difficult. Childbearing is painful. It's, uh, the, the whole world changes. Then Jesus comes, fully man, living a perfect man's life. He's a federal head. And uh, he stands in the place over everything, and by believing in him as federal head and savior for us, um, we are made free. Wonderful uh, gospel. All right. Um, the next thing we learn about God's uh, glory here in the, expressed in the gospel is God's justice. Um, like the courtroom scene we were talking about, there is forensic evidence against us, all right? So the judge can't just go, oh, well, you know, I'm just going to overlook that, and, and uh, it's okay. Come on into my presence. If that happened, God would cease to be God because he would cease to be himself. He can't have iniquity in his presence. He's got to judge it. He must do it. And so in the gospel, in the, in the uh, oh, my goodness, in the, um, in the, uh, In the crucifixion, a a sin is judged. It's put to death. Um, Justice is met in the courtroom of heaven. Um, Sinners, we are proven guilty. Um, All of sin and fall short of the glory of God. Um, um, But but God's justice is displayed. There's one more thing I wanted to show you uh, here, and that's um, this. Look at verse 34. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm robbing our, our, next point, our last point here, but uh, Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. We're going to talk about that again more on our last point. But notice it's a divine attribute shown here of God's love. We are to love as God has loved, as he has shown love to be. All right, um, application for your life. Uh, anybody shop on eBay? Really? More, aren't there more people who shop on eBay? Oh, look at, yeah, okay, so people are now admitting at 11.30 at night they're shopping on eBay. But, um, you know, you shop on eBay, and I don't know about you, but, you know, back when eBay started, it was like, oh, we're bidding. Oh, somebody else bid. I'll bid too. Oh, there's six days left. I'll keep on bidding. The way to get something on eBay is treat it like a store. Don't bid on it. Wait till the last seven seconds and then bid on it. And have a price in your mind that you will go over or you won't go over. And, uh, and, and my advice to you is this. Ask yourself this question. You know, we're going, oh, eh, oh should I? How should I? What's my maximum bid? Ask yourself, um, in five years, would I wish that I paid $20 more for this thing? You know, whatever the, thing, whatever the value is on the thing. In, in just ask yourself, in five years, would I wish that I paid $20 more for this? Or, or five years from now, am, am I going to go, oh, man, you know what? I didn't need that thing anyway. It's a good, healthy way to observe, to, to, to do that, to engage in it. My point is, 
that you have a, you, you've assigned a value to that thing. It's worth a certain amount to you. Well, Christian, you know what, you know what value, you know what worth God perceived in you? Nothing. Unrighteous. Sinful. Uh, he separates himself as far as east is from west from sin. If you're a sinner and you've sinned, you're in a bad spot. And so God doesn't perceive some wonderful value in you going, mm, yes, uh, that person's... Mm. What, 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 is, what, is what is admirable about a sinner to a holy God? Nothing. But why, God saves. Why does He save? The reason He saves is to show His glory. Um, how does He show His glory? By securing, saving love. What a mystery, y'all. The sinner has nothing attractive to God. Um, you've been repulsed by something. You smelled a bad smell, have you? you? You've seen a bad thing, have you? A gross thing that you don't want to look at? Roadkill? You don't want to look at that possum, do you? It's repellent. That's what sin is to a holy God. And yet, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. What a, what a mystery is the, the sweet love of God. All right, next point, a new reality. Uh, verse 33, uh, little children, uh, yet a little while I am with you, you will seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Uh, and, and indeed, Jesus does say that earlier. Um, oh, let me just flip uh, chapter 8, yeah. Uh, oh, why don't you go ahead and turn, just flip a couple pages to chapter 8. Jesus is talking to the religious leadership, <clears throat> and uh, he says to them, uh, I'm going away, and you will seek me. And listen, he, he, he says this three times. You will die in your sin. And the point is, if you don't believe in me, you'll die in your sin. He makes that clear later. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I'm going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins... It's the second time he says that. For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He's making a, a very exclusive, explicit gospel claim saying, unless you believe that I am he, in other words, the Christ, the Savior, the one who the Old Testament was talking about, unless you believe in me, you will die in your sins. Where I'm going, you cannot come. Well, he says that to the disciples uh, too. That's the same, it's the same thing. Oh, by the way, you know what they end up saying? Uh, they, they end up saying, uh, who is he? Look at verse 25 of chapter 8. Uh, who are you? <laughs> you? We'll die in our sins unless we believe in you? Who are you? Well, he says the same thing to the disciples, and the question stands. Um, little children, um, where I'm going, you cannot come. So who is he? Is he just some charismatic leader? Is he just some pop star? You know, Judas had an opinion, and Judas departed, and he died in his sins. Notice also the tenderness with which Jesus deals with his disciples. I mean, Judas leaves, and Jesus starts, and for the next four chapters, he's preparing his disciples for his departure. They don't really understand it, but he's, he's saying things and preparing things, and he's getting his affairs in order with his disciples. And the way he starts is by saying, little children. 
little children, this, this, this sweet, this tenderness. And it frames everything that he says for the next uh, four chapters. Um, and think about this too. You know, when he says, uh, I want you to love one another um, the way that I have loved you, stop just for a second and ponder somebody in your life living perfect love out in front of you. I mean, Jesus never flawed in his love ever once, never uh, losing patience ever once. Is that not amazing? Perfect love lived out, and you know, that's going to be extracted from their life, and he's trying to prepare them uh, for it. What a shock that would be. Um, But secondly, it's also distinguished as a divine love um, that was lived out on this earth. Um, Where I am going, you cannot come. In other words, uh, this is an application for you and me. When he says, where I'm going, you, not, you, you cannot come, you guess what he's saying? I need you to stay here. I'm going to keep on working. I'm going to keep on loving, but I'm going to do it through y'all. Uh, I'm going to do my loving work through y'all. You know, um, in, in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, uh, Jesus preaching, he talks about being salt. And he talks about being light. And uh, many, 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 a sermon, you know, Matthew 5, 6, and 7 are the most preached on, most written about, uh, three chapters in the whole Bible. Did you know that? I mean, I've got a commentary wall in my office, and, you know, Matthew, I've got, I don't know, 13 commentaries on Matthew, but I've got, I don't know, five or six books just on the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the Lord's Prayer. I mean, it's, there's, there's writings and writings and ponderings and so on. And, um, you know, Jesus talks about being salt, and one of the things that preachers say all the time, they'll say, oh, well, you know, salt is salty, that's true, that's, and that's, that's Jesus says so, <clears throat> salt is salty, and, um, you know, uh, but, but they'll say, and you know, salt is also a preservative, as if that's just a, an incredibly profound thought. Does anybody cook in here? Yeah, salt's a preservative. Wherever salt is... Bacteria isn't. Uh, you ever notice that the country ham in the Kroger is not refrigerated? It's in some little cardboard, weird little display. Country ham is in a plastic bag, and you just walk by. It's not refrigerated. You know why? It doesn't need to be refrigerated. You know why? Salt. That's why. Where, where salt is, bacteria isn't. And that's the point, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus continues his work through his church, through Christians. The Holy Spirit lives inside of us. The Holy Spirit continues Jesus' work even though he's gone. He expects his love, his divine love, to be shown to a pondering world through our love for one another and the world around us, all right? So my advice to you is this, Um, you know, I, we don't have kids, but um, this, is, this is advice you can bank on. Fellas, when you come home from work uh, and there are, there are these cute little kids that have been waiting to see you all day, and it's, Daddy, Daddy, they run up and they want to grab your legs and it's just cute as can be and they're just as adorable as can be, here's my advice. Kick them. Get them off your legs and go straight to your wife and make out with her. Kiss her. Oh, you're cute. You're cute. But you know what? I kiss mommy first. 
because she's at the top of the list. Oh, and now you got, now come here, you sweet little things. But if you want to give a gift to your kids, kiss your wife first. That's the best thing you can do. By the way, ladies, reciprocate. Um, you want to do the best thing for your kids? Love daddy um, enthusiastically in front of them so they go, oh, wow, mommy and daddy have a unique uh, relationship. It's one, they won't be able to define it, but it's one flesh. My, my whole point is this. That's, that's kind of how we're supposed to view this world, uh, our, our love in this world. We're supposed to think, okay, our highest um, allegiance is to the Lord Jesus Christ and to His church. And so, as we see each other in the, in the flock, in the fold, I mean, that's the order of things, that we're to see each other in the, in the flock, and the fold. I'll give you a verse from Galatians in a minute. Um, but we love one another first, and then we love the world, and it's... it's, it's, it's it's mind-blowing to an observing world. Okay, our last point, a new commandment. And this is all about the love thing in verse 34. A new commandment I give to you um, that you love one another. And we go, oh, that's sweet. That's sweet. I love that. I love the notion of loving somebody. That's, that's, that's really great. But read on. A uh, new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. And you go, oh, wow, <clears throat> that, that's sweet, that's sweet, but wow, just as I have loved you, uh, that's a big thing to say. Um, you know, in, in, um, in Ephesians, uh, the, uh, husbands are given instructions about how to love a wife, and it says this, husbands, love your wives, and we go, oh, yeah, of course, I said I do, and uh, you know, if a burglar came in in the middle of the night, I'd be right down, I'd lay my life down for her. I sure would. I'd go down there, I'd fight him off before he got to her, you know? So husbands, love your wives. We go, got it. It's not it, though. Husbands, love your wives. Well, what's next? As Christ loved the church, you go, huh, how do you do that? What's next? And gave himself up for her. You go, wow, that makes, that makes loving your wife radical. Christ gave himself up, and that's how we're supposed to love. Well, we're told that too. Uh, I want you to love, the, I want you to love uh, one another, but I want you to do it the way I've loved you. Not the way you define it, but the way I, Jesus, define it. Well, that makes it really, really a big thing. Well, the application is built in, okay? Let's look at it, verse 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. All right, let's close this way and turn to Ephesians chapter 3 together. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verse 7. Um, Paul is writing here, and he says, uh, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given, me, given to me by the working of his power. And uh, he says, uh, you know, uh, he goes on to say, um, uh, verse 9, uh, God's use of Paul was to, verse 9, Ephesians chapter 3, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that, listen, through the church... The manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Wow. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and so on. The point is this. 
um, the, the, the mystery hidden that is shown, guys, not just to the world, but to the rulers and authorities, think about that, to the heavenly realms, is expressed through the church. The church behaves in a certain way, and it shows something about what God is like to an observing world and to an observing uh, heavenly realm. Uh, God is revealing His glory through the gospel in a way that would be otherwise unknown. That, that's an amazing thing, friends, and it's demonstrated particularly to the world. We are to love the world. We're to love the world. But you know who we're supposed to love first? The church. That's who we're supposed to love first is the church. We're supposed to love one another with the way Jesus loved, and the world looks at it and goes, wow, that is really strange. I mean, all these people who were not in a relationship and whose lives are so very different are suddenly deeply immersed in the ways people feel and the way they think and the hurts in their lives, and, and they're, they're, they're deeply connected as if family because they are family. So believers, um, don't belittle the church. Don't ever, don't you dare ever get, I just, I'm sick of the church and I'm burnt out on the church and I don't like the church. Church in the Bible is synonymous with saved people. If you are a saved person, that's the church. You're in it. You're in a family. And uh, let me tell you, Sometimes it's awkward, and sometimes it's hard, and sometimes it's trying of your patience, and some people are harder to love than others, and some people are easier to love than others. But by the way we love one another, the observing world sees God's glory shining. Verse 33, last thing is this. Um, I rather like this. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in Him. He's talking about the reality of the cross of Christ. Now is the Son of Man glorified. Well, here's here's what I want to leave you with. Now is still now. When the cross of Christ is preached, when the love of God is demonstrated, when the glory of the redemption of Jesus Christ is purported, um, God has brought glory. Uh, God is uh, in the glory business and you are in his eternal employ. Let's pray. Father, um, we're sorry for our lack of love. Um, we want to love you deeply, and uh, that, that manifests itself in the way we love other people. And um, often we want to cut them out and just, um, just say we love you, but we... we we want to love who you love, and we want to honor who you want to honor, Lord, and we want to obey our Christ uh, and love the way he loves. And so help us do that, Lord. Help us think healthfully about what is the church and about how you um, uh, add to her number and guard her and um, preserve her until the great day of Jesus Christ and use her to show a wondering world what is this divine love. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.